free. And it will come up on the screen, and uh, I'll just read that for you. It says, By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. And what happens is this writer continues on and he talks more and more and more about the heroes of the faith about all those men and women who gave their life, uh, literally, some of them, for the cause of God. And these were people who simply ran and ran and ran and ran and kept running and would not give up. They wouldn't quit. These were people who would say, just say the word and I'll do it. And then in chapter 12 the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk to those individuals and to all of us that if you persevere in faith, if you persist to the very end, there is a payoff. That there is a reward when you continue to follow God all the way to the end. And in verse 1 it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer says that since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely to us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set for us. He just says, just keep running. No matter what you're going through, just keep running. Just keep running. Don't ever quit. Because, you see, what i found with races, when you begin the race, at the start of the race, it's great. There's a lot of fun there. But what really matters, folks, is how you finish. How do you keep on running, and how do you finish? You know, one of the uh, greatest images uh, that Scripture gives to us over and over again is the image of a race. And just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever, at least once, ever exercised by running? One time in your whole life. Okay. There's a couple people didn't raise their hand. I mean, they've never run. Okay. Now, how many of you have ever been tempted to quit when you ran? Raise your hand. 
Okay, there's more people that put their hand up that time than the first. You know? Well, each year in uh, Indianapolis, uh, there is, in May, a uh, mini-marathon. It's 13.1 miles. It happens right before the Indianapolis 500, and men and women come, and they run, and they race. Now, close to 30,000 people, brave, motivated, overachieving sickos, um, go out there and they do 13.1 miles. Now, seven years ago, uh, a couple of guys said, Bunch, you want to run with us? And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And we started in January. And it snowed. And there was sleet. And it was horrible. And I thought I was going to die. And I thought there was no way that I could finish the training, but I did. And then the day finally came of the race. And when we got to the race, what I noticed was they put you in these little blocks of people from fastest to slowest. And I was more toward the slowest than the fastest block. And you would get there, and people, their shirts were all nice. Everything looked just wonderful. Hair was in place. They had their running tights on, had their shoes on. They were just looking good. I mean, you know, it was wonderful. And everyone was jumping up and down. They're like, yeah, man, we're going to get our time. And, you know, they're all singing. They're telling jokes. There are bands that are playing all around you. I even saw one guy open up a beer and drank it right before the race. Seriously? And then all of a sudden, the race began, and the gun sounded. Now, during any stage of a race, a runner experiences different things. And the first stage might be called the pleasure stage. When you're at this point, your body's loose, your heart's pumping, your blood's flowing, your head's clear, your lung breathes deep, the birds are singing, the sun is shining, fish are jumping, the cotton's high, daddy's rich, and mama's good looking. And that stage is called the runner's... Some of you are like, I have no idea. It's called the runner's high, okay? It's called the runner's high. And how long you stay in that is dependent upon your condition. For me on that day, it was 15 feet. Now, if you keep going, you eventually will reach a point where you will be tempted to quit, to stop. And it's overwhelming. Your, your legs feel this searing pain. Your lungs feel like there are burning coals at the bottom of them holding you back. And runners talk about this stage as hitting the, the wall. Again, how long it takes is dependent upon your conditioning. For me on that day, it was 16 to 17 feet. Now, to run at this stage, to hit the wall, and to keep on going, that's the test of a runner. You see, a race isn't won or lost at that stage. The race is either completed or totally abandoned. And people stop, or they start walking, or they walk away. They hit the wall. You see, folks, a lot of people on that day, they were great at the beginning of the race. Because at the beginning of the race, it's fun. It feels good. But finishing is hard work. Finishing takes determination. Finishing well counts a lot. 
So I'm here this morning to ask you this one question, and it's this. Will you run the race to the very end? When it comes to you and your faith and where you're at, will you run the race to the very end? Will you keep on running? Will you just tell yourself, I'm going to keep running and keep running and keep running, and I'm not going to quit? Now, this brings us to Moses. And if you remember from the last couple of weeks, that Moses finds himself out in the middle of the desert. And he figures he's retired at that point, and there's nothing more God wants to do in his life. He thought he had missed any opportunity to go forward. But then, God calls to him from this burning bush to go and to confront Pharaoh. And you would think that at that point, that here's this bush that's burning and you're speaking with the presence of God, and God is there, and you're thinking that Moses at that point would say, I'm in, I'm in, I'm following you. But he doesn't. Moses resists God. He pushes him away. He is afraid that the Israelites won't listen to him. And it's amazing. You know, Moses is like the biggest person of faith in the Old Testament and uh, is listed in the New Testament, and he pushes God aside. He resists him. But finally, Moses agrees to this call because of God's persistent persistency. Moses and Aaron, though, are scared to death to go to the Israelites. They're afraid because they're not sure that they will believe him. And they even do all the miracles that they're going to do in front of Pharaoh. All the things that God will do in the next few chapters, they do in front of the Israelite leaders. And finally, in chapter 4, verse 31, it says this. The leaders were soon convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. And when they realized that the Lord had seen their misery and was deeply concerned for them, they all bowed their heads and they worshipped. You can just kind of imagine that at that point, Moses is like, like a sigh of relief. That these people who he had given his life for were actually going to believe him. So you think at this point that the worst is over, that they're off to the races, that everything's downhill now, that they're headed to the promised land. The people say, let's go to Pharaoh. We're already slaves. It can't get any worse than this. And in chapter 5 then, it says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, Moses and Aaron must have ate their Wheaties that morning. I mean, they are coming to the most powerful man in the world, and they're confident, and they're bold, and they're like, Thus saith the Lord, let his people go. I mean, they don't waste any time. They don't bring a gift, you know, like most world leaders do to Pharaoh and kind of say, hey, Pharaoh, you know, we're just wilderness shepherds, but here's a gift. They don't do that. They come up, they're cocky, they kind of got their strut going, and they're like, let my people go, 
or you go. They don't ask for permission. They just say, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Well, you might imagine that Pharaoh doesn't take this very well, to say the least. And this is what he says. Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then Moses and Aaron begin to kind of backpedal a little bit. They realize that they ticked him off, and they say this, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. You see, when resistance comes to them from Pharaoh, they have a different perspective. They start off by saying, Thus saith the Lord. Let my people go business. Now it's like, uh, hey, Pharaoh, could we have a three-day pass? We'll be out in the wilderness, and then we'll come right back, and we promise, you know, we'll be here. We'll work for you. We love you. Please, please, please. Pretty, 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 please. You see the difference? First of all, they come and they say, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And then they say, Pretty, 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 please, pretty, please, let us go on a three-day pass. And then Pharaoh says this, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors, Pharaoh continued. Now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop working? That same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves but you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. And then in verse 9 he says, Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. You see, folks, Pharaoh wasn't into servant leadership. You know what servant leadership is, right? You try to serve the other people around you, you model that in your company, and then everyone else catches on. He was into what I call the inverted pyramid. He was not into that. He didn't want to have himself at the bottom of the pyramid. Heck, in fact, Pharaoh, he made the pyramids, right? I mean, he was at the top of the pyramid and everyone else was below him. And it was all about him. And he comes and he says, who is this Yahweh? I'm not impressed with your God. Get back to work twice as hard as before. And that's not what Moses signed up for, though. The Israelites thought, well, you know, we might go to Pharaoh and we're slaves already, so it can't get any worse. And then what happened? It gets worse. Any of you ever had to make bricks with straw before? Me neither. I I have no idea how that works. But if you don't have that together, you don't have that process together, and you have to go find it, and you have to do double the size of work, it's a lot of work. If you would, just imagine yourself for a second being Moses. Put yourself in in this scenario, uh, in his footsteps. You have this compelling vision. Let's say that you devote your ministry to build up the people of God. Maybe you're a small group leader, and you know that you're not perfect, but you're going to give it a shot. 
You spend time alone with God. You have this compelling vision. You know that this is what God tells you to do. You get a little flock of faithful people together, but things don't work out exactly the way that you had planned. It's going to take a lot longer than you thought. You're going to have to elevate the level of leadership. You run into a wall. You hit Pharaoh. And now you have to have all your people making bricks without straw. You hit the wall. So you go back to your uh, little flock. And then something amazing happens. They don't say, thanks for leading us. Thanks for coming up with such a compelling vision. We knew there'd be roadblocks, but we don't care. We love you, Moses. The Pharaoh's hardness of heart will not eliminate our deliverance. It'll just make it more miraculous. Don't worry about a thing. We'll just roll our sleeves up. We'll go find the straw. We'll put the bricks together. You keep challenging us, and we'll keep following you. Do they do that? No. Instead, this little flock of people becomes stubborn and pig-headed and obstinate. And it's hard to believe that people would ever act that way, isn't it? That never happens in your workplace, does it? Or in your families? You have ideas and people are just like, hey, I'll follow you. They complain. They resist. They say, we don't want to make bricks having to gather our own straw. What have you done to us, Moses? And the Bible puts it this way. The Israelite supervisor said to Moses and Aaron, The Lord look upon you and judge. You have brought us into bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Literally, what that's saying at that point is you've made us stink in front of Pharaoh. We stink now because of what you've done. He wants nothing to do with us. If he was going to make it easier on us, he's definitely not going to do that now. And now you have put a sword in his hand to kill us. And now Moses is left alone. It's just him and Aaron against Pharaoh and all of Egypt and now even his own people, his flock. You see, folks, you'll be tempted to quit when things, of your, when things in your life happen in which it feels like it's hopeless. You'll be tempted to quit when you run into opposition. And you'll especially be tempted to quit when you feel like you're all alone. One of uh, the political names in the Midwest that has uh, been very strong. Uh, My wife Jennifer and I were in Chicago uh, this week and uh, one of our friends uh, adopted a uh, baby from Uganda who had HIV. And so uh, I was there to uh, kind of uh, do the dedication of this child. But I was thinking about Chicago and while we were in Chicago there is one name that has driven Chicago for a long time and it's called Daly's. The Dailies. The Dailies have been in the mayor's office for decades. And one of the most uh, cantankerous, can anybody help me with that word? Cantankerous. Uh, There we go. 
Please uh, get your uh, pen out. We're going to have spelling today. Cantankerous. Uh, cantankerous. No, I'm joking. But uh, probably the most cantankerous was old Mayor Daly, in the, who uh, was in the 60s and the 70s. Very ruthless guy, kind of guy that was tough, uh, mean. Uh, you just did, really, most people didn't want to work for him. And uh, he was kind of a threatening guy. But one day, one of the speechwriters came up to him and said, I want a raise, and I demand a raise. And Mayor Daly uh, didn't like anyone to talk to him like that, and so he responded, I'm not going to give you a raise. You're getting paid more than you're even worth. <coughs> it ought to be enough that you are working for a great American hero. And he walked away. And uh, you thought that was the end of it until about two weeks later. And he's on his way to deliver a speech at a convention of veterans. And it was going to be kind of this nationwide, uh, you know, televised kind of experience. Now, uh, one of the things that Mayor Daley was most known for was that when he would come... Uh, to uh, his speeches, he never looked at the speech before. So he would just stand up and whatever the speechwriters wrote, that's what he read. And it gave a lot of unique experiences in Chicago politics. So he gets up and he's getting ready to deliver this message to these veterans nationwide and uh, talking about the great plight uh, of veterans. And uh, I got a section of it and this is what it said. It said, I'm concerned for you, he said. I have a heart for you. I'm deeply convinced that this country needs to take care of its veterans. And so I'm proposing today a plan, jointly the product of the city government, the state government, and the federal government. I want to unveil a 17-point plan to take care of the veterans in our country. And by this time, you know, the whole crowd of veterans, are, they're curious because, you know, these are benefits. And, you know, Daly doesn't know what the 17-point plan is, and he's kind of curious too. And it says that he turns the page, and these were the only words that were on it. You're on your own now, you great American hero. (laughs) Now, folks, that's Moses. Okay? That's Moses. God calls him, and he resists. God keeps calling him. God persists. And finally, Moses gives in and says, okay, go to the people. Okay, maybe that will work. Go to Pharaoh. Bam, he hits a wall. Pharaoh's against him. Egypt's against him. His own people have turned against him. You're on your own now. But the truth is, folks, the reality is he was never alone. And what I want you to know this morning, too, is that you are never alone. Not even in your darkest moment. You know, this week, uh, what happened to the Grangers and Swobodas was unreal. And I rushed to be with the family. And while I was there, though, I'll tell you what was the most powerful thing. They knew that God was still with them 
while they're going through all this pain. But as we sat in that yard, it was like people after people, people from the jar just kept coming and kept coming. And people over these last few days have just kept coming and coming. And they're saying, you're not alone. And it's a beautiful thing. There's probably no prouder moment that I've had for you as a church than this week as people just kept caring and caring and caring. And then I started getting emails, what can we do for the other young man who died? And I thought, you guys got it. Because what life is about is knowing that you're not alone, to be connected with God. But then you need people who are surrounding you that you know you're not alone. The big hinge of this whole story and the big hinge of the story of life, folks, is this. When Moses turns to God. Moses eventually turns to God. Verse 22 says this. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you have done nothing at all to deliver your people. You see, folks, Moses turns to God. He doesn't turn anywhere else. And it's kind of this prayer that he has. It's a prayer of lament. It's almost a prayer of complaining. Like, God, why did you put me in this position? But he turns to God, and he says, why have you done this? In chapter 6, God begins to speak back to Moses. And he says this, Then the Lord says to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, by a mighty hand, he will let them go. By a mighty hand, he will drive them out of his land. God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. God tells him in that moment, these other guys who are heroes of the faith, I let them know that I was there, but I didn't give them my name. But I'm telling you, Moses, you know my name. I'm renewing my covenant with you. And in verse 9 then it says, Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go and tell the Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of this land. Now you'd think at this point that Moses is like pumped up. He's got all the strength that he needs. But look at his response. Moses says to the Lord, The Israelites have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, the poor speaker that I am? You see, now Moses is this pillar of jello. A pillar of jello. God calls him again. Thus says the Lord to Moses and to Aaron, and he gave them orders regarding the Israelites and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, charging them to free the Israelites from the land of Egypt. God just keeps calling over and over again and again. God will not stop. He continues to call us again and again and again and again to follow him until we turn to him. Now let's look at two to-dos before we close out if you're going to finish strong in the race. The first to-do is this. Be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. If you're going to finish strong, if you're going to finish the race, you have to persevere. You have to be persistent 
in prayer. To just come back and back and back again to God. God, this is where I'm at. You see, folks, Moses does a lot of things wrong throughout his leadership. But this is one thing that he doesn't do. He weebles, he wobbles, he falls down, his knees buckle a lot. But he does do one thing right. And it's that he keeps on turning back to God and back to God and back to God. Because the primary form of persistence for the Christian faith, folks, is prayer. That we constantly pray. We pray in the beginning, we pray at the end. We are sustained in prayer. Jesus tells us, never grow tired of praying. He says in Luke 18 that it's like a widow who's looking for justice. She goes to her city councilman and he kind of ignores her. He turns her away because he's on the take. He's corrupt. I know it's hard to believe that there is any such thing as a corrupt politician. But uh, there are. Use your imagination. And here comes this woman to this councilman, and she has no connections, no money. She's on welfare. She can't bribe him, but this is what she does. She starts to text him, and she calls, and she faxes, and she, uh, you know, sends voicemails. And finally, she puts it on Facebook about her plight to everyone else. And eventually, he just gives in to his staff and says, just take care of her, whatever she wants. Jesus says this, imagine that you have some friends, some relatives that come in out of town from, let's say, California. They arrive at midnight and they have not eaten since noon. And your kitchen is empty and you go down to the village pantry and it's closed. And so you go to your neighbor and you pound on the door. The Californians are here. The Californians are here. Give me some mineral water and tofu. They're hungry. It's in Luke 11, folks. Just go look at it, okay? And the neighbors come back and they say, it's one in the morning and the kids are in bed and it's the first good night's sleep that we've had. Are you crazy? But if you keep on pounding long enough... Jesus says that people will actually give you food. And Jesus says, if you can be persistent with a corrupt politician and with some cranky neighbors, why would you not be persistent with the God of the heavens and the earth who will turn things upside down because of His infinite passion for His children to give good things? You see, folks, don't you know that sometimes God wants to give you something that's called growth. The kind of growth that only happens when you persist again and again and again. So this morning, I want you to identify right now what is the greatest challenge in your life. I want you to think of that area of your life that maybe you are tanking in right now. You know what it is. And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment this morning. That you are going to relentlessly persevere in prayer until it gets answered. You're going to go to bed tonight and whatever that challenge is that's in your life, you're going to pray about it. And in the morning when you wake up, you're going to pray about it. Maybe it's a relational challenge. Maybe you have a difficulty with a person 
in your life. Maybe it's somebody who's very difficult to love. Maybe it's your one 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 person that we as a church have been praying for, one person who's far from God for one minute at 1 o'clock each day, and you've kind of given up. And you know what? Today is your day to say, no, I'm going to keep persisting in prayer until they come to Christ. Maybe it's a pattern of sin in your life that you haven't been able to break, and you feel like it's going to hold grip of your life forever. Maybe it's a habit that you want to cultivate in your life. Maybe it's a family problem that you're going through, and you just need to not stop praying about it. I'm asking you this morning, will you draw a line in the sand and will you say, I'm not going to stop doing what Jesus commands until even if I die. I'm going to persevere in prayer. I'm going to run the race. I'm going to not get distracted. I'm not going to turn aside. I will keep praying and seeking God on this until I know the direction and the focus that He wants in my life. If it means that I have to pray every single day until the day that I die, then as best as I can, I'm going to seek to go forward and pray for it every single day. Even if I never see it, even if I have to feel like I want to give up, I will never give up. I will never give in. I will run the race. I will finish the course. I will keep the faith. Are you in this morning? One of the deepest and darkest discouragements that took place in my life happened in the first two years that I was a pastor of a small little country church. My wife Jennifer and I uh, were separated our first year of marriage. She lived here in Muncie, and I lived over near Lafayette in Flora, Indiana. It was about a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour drive, and so we never saw each other during the week, and on the weekends... We usually saw each other only on Sunday afternoon. It was horrible. It really stunk. And during that time, I had so much time by myself that I would walk the streets and I would see all of these neighbors that were all around this little small town around our church and they were far from God. And they would walk by the church and the church was almost like this... uh, a military camp that no one would ever go into because it felt like there were chains that were all around it because it was the heart of the people. And they would drive by all the time. And so I just started to pray. And I read everything that I could. And I went to conferences. And I had such a heart for people who were far from God. And I got a group of people together and we began to start making some changes. The first thing we did was the sanctuary that they had had green carpet on green puke paint. And so we got these banners, and we put four banners up all around, and we put banners up that would remind us who we are and whose we are and who we wanted the community to know that we would would become. Secondly, we started introducing new music. All of a sudden, we kind of put the organ aside, and we started playing the piano a lot more. We did something that was unthinkable back in uh, that time period. We got this thing called an overhead projector. If you're in your 20s or less, you won't even know what that is. We'd put an overhead projector, and we'd just kind of flip things, and we'd sing these different songs that were uh, more connecting 
to people who were far from God. And finally, we just started blanketing our community uh, with acts of kindness to show God's love. We got this big horse trough in the middle of the town square and gave out 960 coats one time on Palm Sunday. It almost shut down the whole town because we were doing this. Now, you might think some changes like that everyone was for, but there were about two or three people that were against it. Okay, it was a lot more than two or three, okay? Just to be truthful. And during this period of time, there was excitement, but I faced some of the most difficult challenges in my life. I just felt like there was opposition against me all the time on whether or not, folks, we wanted to really be a church that would welcome outsiders, that would love people no matter who they were. And I remember one particular day, I was so overwhelmed, I just walked upstairs to the balcony, and there was this room uh, that uh, no one ever went into. It was called the boiler room. I don't know why they had it upstairs, but they did. And I went in there, and I was by myself. I didn't tell the secretary where I went or anything. And I just prayed, and I interceded on God, and I complained, and I whined, and I lamented, and I was ready to bolt and get out of that little place. And as far as I know, God said these words to me, no. And I remember praying to God in that moment, but God, I signed on to be a history teacher. I didn't even want to be a pastor. And you know, if I was a history teacher, at least when you're dealing with cranky people, you don't have to deal with them in the summer, you know? You can take it off. But God said, no. I want you to hang in there. I want you to teach and lead my church. I want you to share the good news to all these people who walk by the church every day. Just don't quit. Just don't give in. Just don't give up. Just don't give up. Just don't give up. Just run. Just run. Just keep running. And then I think what happened to that small little church and how God blessed it and grew it and we impacted the lives of people around it for eternity. And I'm so grateful, folks, that on that particular day, I didn't give up. I didn't give in. Because the reality is, you wouldn't be here today for many of you, at least in this setting. And I don't do that to build up Chris Bunch. I'm just telling you, there is a God who wants you to know, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't give in. Just keep running. So you persist in prayer, and this is the last thing. Be surrounded by encouraging people. That's what it means to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, that you would be surrounded by encouraging people. That's why small groups are so important, because when you go through some storms in life, you need people around you who can build you up that you can't build yourself up. The Bible says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Folks, long before you ever sat in this chair, long before you ever were born, there were people that were running the faith for you. And they're in heaven now, and they're reaching out, and they're calling you to go forward, to go forward, to go forward, to not quit, to keep running, to keep running. Because in this race, folks, It is important for you to know that no one ever runs alone. So if you're going to finish well, you have to have a cloud of witnesses encouraging people that are around you who can tell you, don't give up, 
Keep on going. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. You know, when I ran that mini marathon seven years ago, the thing that was so powerful to me were the amputees, people who were in wheelchairs, and they were going and doing the mini themselves. And it was so amazing that when you would see one of them go by, people would just come unglued, and they would start yelling, just keep running, just keep running, just keep running. And so I want to close this morning that all of us in this place, that we would leave today knowing that God wants you to just keep running. If any of you are a married couple, I'd like you to just stand up. Right where you're at right now, we know who you are. Just stand up. And when I get to the end, I want all of us who are sitting right now for us to say, just keep running. Now, some of you are going through some tough stuff in your marriage right now. And maybe you've tempted with the thought that maybe we should just quit. And I just want to tell you to just keep running. That there is a cloud of witnesses in heaven that are around you, and there are witnesses here on earth. And all of us want to tell these married couples what? Just keep running. Okay, if you're a single parent, I'd like you to stand up. No, married people, keep, keep, keep standing. Man, I give a, you know, I give an exercise on running. And, uh... So if you're a single parent, why don't you stand up? I am sure that there are times that uh, it becomes very overwhelming as a single parent. You just feel like in some ways that you're all alone. I want you to know that you're my heroes because I don't know how you do it. I have a four-year-old and two-year-old, and it takes two of us, a babysitter, a grandma, grandpa, grandma, grandpa, and about ten people from the church just to get them their clothes on in the morning, you know. So if you've ever been tempted to quit as a single parent, there is a cloud of witnesses from heaven themselves and those in this place today. And what do we want to say to our single parents? Just keep running. Now, I want those of you that are single to please stand up. If you're single, go ahead and stand up. I'm sure that there are times that if you're single or you're widowed, that you feel like you're all alone. You might have even been rejected. And you wonder if this single thing is really worth it. And I just want to remind you that there is a cloud of witnesses from heaven themselves and witnesses that are here on earth in this place today. And we want to say to those who are single, what? Just keep running. Finally, all of our students, who are, if you're a student, please stand up. It's difficult to uh, have peer pressure as a student. You feel like you want to stand up for God, but people are telling you to do something else. And what I just want to say is that there is a cloud of witnesses in heaven itself, and there are clouds of witnesses that are here in this place. And we want to say to all of our students, what? Just keep running. And I just want you to know today that whatever you're going through, that God Himself stands from His throne, He looks down upon every single one of us in this place today, and He tells us, just Keep running. Let's pray.
Loving God, I thank you so much for every single person who is in this place. It's not by coincidence that they are here today. But they're here, God, because you wanted them to know this morning not to give up, but to just keep running. And God, would you give us the courage and the strength that when life becomes very difficult and storms hit our lives, that we would turn to you and would know that you are a God who is telling us to just keep running. God, remind us that this week, every day this week, to just keep running, to just keep running, to just keep running. We pray this in Jesus' name so that his name would be made great. Amen. If uh, the prayer team would come up, if you'd like prayer for anything, please do. And uh, I'll be at the meet and greet to greet anyone. Watched him running down the aisles. Children's time, Sunday morning. Preacher asked them who they
Children stop.